Welcome to Southside Community Church. Enjoy our Sunday morning message. So in that room, right there, is a pool noodle. You guys know what a pool noodle is? I think it's lime green. Actually, hold on a second. I'm going to talk amongst yourselves for a second. Yep. Here it is. This is a pool noodle. You guys have no idea what this is about. Except for some of you. Uh, if you are on the music team, this is either bringing uh, back a scary memory or it's bringing uh, some laughter to you because we have a policy. Kara wrote a policy um, for our music team standards, and one of those things is there are no divas on the music team. And that's the same for our entire church. I love the fact that God is forming us into a church in which there are no divas. And I'm actually going to, because I think it's so good, I'm going to read the exact quote that Kara has for, on her music team standards. It says, divas will be sniffed out and repeatedly smacked with a pool noodle. Seriously, no divas allowed. No job is below us, whether it's picking up trash or being the bathroom monitor, whatever. We lead the way in serving and serving others and seeing others as Jesus did when he washed his disciples' feet. I wanted to start with that just because Kara and I were able to take the family on almost a two-week vacation um, a couple weeks ago, and we were able to do that because this is a church filled with people who are not divas. There are people that work behind the scenes keeping things running so that we don't have to be here. Um, people taking care of the property so that we don't have to think about that. People making sure that Facebook Live is up and sound is on, and the lights are on, and the coffee's made, and everything is working because this is a body of Christ that functions without wanting to be a celebrity. And I love that about this church, and I love you guys. So thank you for not being divas and enabling us to go away. All right. One of the things that I'm learning, um, and it's been taking me a long time to get this message, is to teach to shepherd to serve others out of the overflow of what's happening in my own life, out of the overflow of what I'm learning and experiencing from God myself. Because you could hire an actor to memorize some message and come up here and deliver it, and it wouldn't bear a lot of fruit. It'd be pretend. The Word would still accomplish things because the Word is unstoppable. As long as Scripture's in there somewhere, it will do something. But I think what God calls pastors and other teachers and people to do in the church is to lead, shepherd is a better word, teach out of the overflow of their own personal interactions with God. Now, what that means sometimes is to be interruptible. When I have a plan or a certain way of thinking that this is going to work out, to make space to allow Jesus to say, nah, I think there's something else this week. And that's exactly what happened with this message. So we were supposed to be uh, continuing in our series, Life in the Kingdom, which we're slowly going through. 
um, the Sermon on the Mount and explaining that as we go and trying to understand it and live as followers of Jesus better. But before we jump back into that, I think Jesus had something else for us today. It's something that Kara and I were impacted by on vacation, and it started with a teaching by a man named John Eldridge, who is, uh, leads a ministry called Wild at Heart, and he talked about this idea of physical rehabilitation. So if you get injured, um, if you play sports, as I did growing up, and you tweak your knee or your hip or your back or you sprain your ankle or your elbow, you hurt something, you would go see someone like my brother-in-law, Sean Hartzler, and he would help you rehabilitate whatever it is that isn't working right with the goal of you being able to function as a human being again, fully as you were designed to. John Eldred suggested that we've all been through trauma. Now, I'm not qualified to say that we've been through global trauma, but he's on to something. He said, we've been through soul trauma since maybe about March or a little before that, 2020. And that's because our lives were interrupted by this virus. We were in constant fear of getting some people, of getting this virus, of getting very sick. Our support structures, our communities, our in-person gatherings were taken away for a while, so we don't have that type of support that we need. Some of our livelihoods were affected. Financial strain and struggle. Soul trauma. Being stuck together in a house brought about some, some things that needed to be dealt with in your family, another type of trauma. And we weren't really sure when it was going to end. And we weren't really sure if it was ever going to get back to normal again. He suggested we've been through trauma. And so what he suggested in this teaching and in this letter that Karen and I received from him is that we take time to see this summer as an opportunity to rehabilitate this part of us that has been through this type of trauma. And that is our soul's. What would it look like to write a prescription for this summer to rehabilitate your soul? What would you add? What are things that you would put in your schedule that breathes fresh wind into your life, that makes you feel more human? What are those things that you would remove from your schedule that aren't really that necessary and that just kind of take it out of you? How would you adjust your pace of life? So this is what I want to talk about today. A few things, a few ways that Jesus might be inviting us in this neck of the woods to rehabilitate our souls. All right, the first thing, and these are in your notes if you want to follow along, and you've heard me talk about this before. The first thing is to Sabbath regularly. That's the first blank, Sabbath. Sabbath regularly. And I gave you a way to be thinking about Sabbath in that sentence beneath it. Sabbath is one way to think about it, is showing God that we trust Him, 
showing God that we trust him by setting aside one day a week where we refrain from working and simply enjoy God through the life he's given us. When we don't Sabbath, we're revealing that we don't actually trust God with our lives. Like we, we can't afford to take a day off with our lives because things will fall apart. We don't actually trust God with our lives. Now, this, I've said this before and I've heard this before that, you, you know, if you have a baby, you can't take a day off from taking care of the baby. So different seasons calls for different ways of doing Sabbath because if you don't tend to a baby for a day, that's not going to be very good, for the baby at least. So what does it look like for you to Sabbath in the season in which you find yourself? God can handle the universe. He doesn't need your help. You can take one day off a week and he'll make sure the earth keeps spinning. We were made to live. And the other problem is if we don't take Sabbath, we don't make room for God to restore our souls, which is his job, which is what he does. But he uses means. And one of those is built into the fabric and rhythm of creation, which we're going to look at in a little bit, is one day just to enjoy him through the stuff he's done for us. We were made to live with this rhythm of rest and work. Rest first. And out of that, launching into meaningful work. Let me show you what I mean. I'm going to look at, we're going to look at Genesis 1 in just a second, but let me use this illustration. Um, imagine, that, imagine that you exercised 15 hours a day every day and you exercised the same muscles the little bit that I know about lifting weights is that when you lift weights you are actually hurting and harming and tearing apart your muscles right I think that's right you can correct me if I'm wrong but do it afterwards um, when you lift weights you're actually tearing apart your muscle fibers you're doing damage it's destructive and you get stronger during the rest periods, when it rebuilds itself. And if you're constantly lifting and never resting, then it's not, you're not going to be able to get stronger. It's the same principle applies to how we live. And some of us are just living life at a breakneck speed and you never rest because you're probably not comfortable with what will come up when you rest. There's probably a reason why we're avoiding that. But... If you don't give your, yourself space to rest, it will catch up with your soul. So we're going to go all the way back to the beginning of creation and see this, this fascinating pattern of rest launching us into meaningful work. So Genesis 1. I'm going to begin with verse 3. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. The second day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters... And the last verse of that, the last sentence of that second day is, and there was evening, and there was morning, the second day. 
Again, with the third day, verse 13, the last thing said, and there was evening, and there was morning. The third day, and the fourth day, and so on. Because in the Hebrew understanding of a day, a day begins in the evening. It doesn't begin in the morning. A day begins with you going to bed and getting out of God's way to do what actually needs to be done in the world. We start our day with rest and we wake up to join what God has already been at work doing. Now some of us wake up and feel like the whole world depends, our life depends on us and I've got to make it happen If I don't make it happen, no one's going to make it happen. Instead of the posture of someone who is a follower of Jesus is we wake up and say, okay, God, where have you been at work and how might I join you in that work today? I was, uh, when I was in high school, I built a deck with my uncle. And what I mean by that is he built the deck and let me do some token activities with it. So I I showed up and he had it framed. Um, He had all the measurements done. He got all the permits. He had bought all the wood. And I basically was screwing the wood into the frame. And, but he told everybody that Greg built this deck with me. That's kind of like our lives. God has already framed it. He's already done the work. And we're joining him. And when you work out of rest, it's like tending to the work that God invited them to do in the Garden of Eden. When we work trying to do our, force our own way, it's like the Tower of Babel, if you're familiar with that. It's working with anxiety to prove yourself. But working out of rest is joining what God's already done without the compulsion to prove your worth. And that way, work is a gift instead of a drag. There's more to this. If you keep going in Genesis, we see in the beginning of Genesis 2, thus the heavens and the earth was finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Now, he's not... God isn't tired. (laughs) He's inexhaustible. He doesn't get tired. Like, that was hard. I made the earth. And, like, how hard is it to say something and it happens? It, It would have taken him a few seconds to do the whole thing. He wasn't tired. He was setting a pattern for us of relating to creation in a non anxious way. Man was created on what day? Sixth day, right? Humanity was created on the sixth day. Which means how were they supposed to spend their first day of creation? Resting and enjoying it with the Lord. They weren't supposed to get to work manically. Their first day in existence, humanity's first day in existence was meant to rest and enjoy God's provision. As a way of saying, God saying, I've got everything set up for you. Just enjoy it for a minute. Just enjoy it for a day. 
When Sabbath is done well, it launches us into meaningful work. It builds a cycle of momentum for our life. Someone on vacation gave Kara and the girls and I a great illustration of a merry-go-round. It was about something else, but it works for this. When you go to a playground, there's a merry-go-round and you, you get it going. It takes a little bit at first, but once it's going and it's spinning, every few, you just tap it a little bit. Every few times it spins, you just hit it again and it goes and it goes and it gets easier and easier. The momentum carries it. The momentum is doing all the work. That's what happens when you begin to take Sabbath seriously. There's a momentum to your life that you can't manufacture in any other way because you're actually saying, all right, God, I trust you with my life that I can get all that needs to be done, done in six days. To not take Sabbath is a form of self-importance, I guess, that doesn't do honor to God. It's a form of uh, rebellion. I want to explain ours. Uh, My family and I, we take Sabbath right now on Mondays. That'll change next year because uh, the girls will not be homeschooled next year. Um, But with them being homeschooled this year, we're able to say, Mondays are Sabbath, and it kind of begins Sunday night after some other things that we need to tend to, and we come home and um, we're able to just enjoy, relax into the next day of Sabbath. And um, it's, we've avoided it becoming a day where we finish all the other house projects and stuff that we weren't able to finish the other six days, and all the work or the emails that I feel like I need to write, it was... We avoid it becoming a day of leftovers. You know what I mean? It's just a day that we don't really do anything we don't want to do, as I've learned from our spiritual director, and we just learn to enjoy God in whatever way we desire to. And so I asked the girls uh, and Kara, what are some things that, you know, Mackenzie and Abby and Kara, what are some things that we've done on Sabbath that are life-giving for you? And we've, I have a list of them here. It's crafting, reading, Bike rides, hikes, swimming, taking a bath, sleeping in, being with people we enjoy, being outside, playing board games together or cards. It's not that hard. It's actually very enjoyable. And it makes you more fruitful the rest of the week. The point is to set aside one day every week to simply bask in the good things that God has done for us. And for some of us, I know people that that might be yard work. That's okay. You don't need to be legalistic about it. If it breathes life into you, by all means, do that. For some of you, that would be miserable, and you shouldn't do that. Some people are really crazy and get energized by cleaning and organizing their house. Okay? (laughs) If that really works, as long as it's not just catching up because you couldn't do it the other days of the week, Sabbath reminds us that the Lord is our shepherd and we shall not want, as Pastor Al reminded us in that prayer beautifully. The Lord is our shepherd and we shall not want. In other words, you can trust that he will provide not only the things that you need, but the things that you want. Now, he'll shift that. It might not be what you think, but you'll want the things that are actually good for you after a while of walking with him. He makes us, Psalm 23, lie down in green pastures. Sabbath reminds us, sit down, lie down. There is abundance all around you, even if you don't see it. Pay attention to ways I am providing 
pay attention to the ways the kingdom is emerging around you. He leads me beside still waters. Sabbath enables the humming to stop. He restores my soul. In other words, we don't restore our soul. We put ourselves in position to have our, res- our souls restored by God. So that's the first point. What would it look like for you to play with this idea of Sabbath? If you're not taking one right now, what would be a gentle step toward that? Or maybe a big step toward that? Play with the idea of the summer. The second thing is put together a summer soul rehabilitation plan. So Kara and I started journaling these, the answer to this question. We're on vacation and we're letting it sit for two or three weeks and then we're going to finalize it, but some of them have already been finalized. And the question for us is, what are those activities that genuinely renew us as a family? What are those activities that genuinely renew us as a family? Now, you'll have, to, you'll have to think about it for a while because your first answer probably won't be the right one. You're probably making it more complicated than it needs to be. So think about it for a little while. Invite Jesus into this. Pray about it. And for a couple weeks, start noodling some things out in a journal, as John Eldridge said in this teaching. It's probably much simpler than you think. He talked about his sons coming up with this, this saying, cost-to-joy ratio. Cost-to-joy ratio is paying attention, does this take more out of me than it puts into me? So we went, on, we went to Orlando for a couple days, and um, we went to Epcot one day. We, I mean, we were there for almost two weeks, and we went to Epcot one day. Because we have found that when you go to the magic kingdom, it takes more out of you than it puts into you. I mean, we went to the magic kingdom and I felt like I needed three days to recover from it when we used to do that. It's fun, it's great, and it's humid and oppressive and hot and you're standing in lines forever and people are bumping against you and asking you how tall you are. And (laughs) it's loud and active and noisy and we got stuck in it's a small world after all one time and I thought I was gonna have to crawl out of that and just climb out of that building we were stuck there literally forever and we needed to recover from that so we went to Epcot once and it was when we were good and rested and then we were fine the next day it was fun how many of you have ever done that though You went on vacation, and then you came home, and you needed a week to recover from it. That's, in my mind, an experience. That's not a vacation. In my mind. Our typical day in Orlando was pretty much this. We would wake up, usually pretty early, kind of. We we got up when we wanted to get up, and we spent unrushed, slow time with the Lord, slowly reading through Scripture individually, praying about it, going on a prayer walk individually. Kara had a spot by the water she would go every morning. I would do a walk, journaling, making space for God to correct some things in our lives if we needed that. And then we would sometimes exercise together as a family and then go to the pool 
and swim and meander back when it was time for lunch, fix something to eat, and either take a nap or go back to the pool or go to Barnes and Noble or do something restful that didn't require a lot of planning or go on a walk. And then we would go out to eat at night. And then sometimes we would, the girls would swim, uh, night swimming. It's a great REM song. Um, or we would just go on a walk. And we were restored. We felt the Spirit use that as a means of restoring us. And we came back rested. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to invite Jesus into this. I, want, I would encourage you, I would invite you to sit down and start putting together a list, pray over it, sit with it for a couple weeks, but what are those things that you do that brings life to you, that renews your heart, that makes you feel like a human being again? And you're gonna feel guilty about some of those things. Who has time to go on a bike ride by yourself? You should. If that creates space for you to enjoy the Father in creation, you should. And you might need to shift your budget for the summer. Kara suggested that and did that this week. We shifted our budget to actually align with some of these ideas that we have. What does it look like to shift everything by faith in order to do the things that would enable us to enjoy God and his provision for us? And pay attention to the cost to joy ratio. Don't make it more complex than it needs to be. Don't make it more complicated than it needs to be. It might not be a big trip. It might not be some bigger than life thing. We live in a bigger than life culture and it's killing us and we shouldn't have to live that way. It might be, and it probably is, much simpler than you think. What if you could live life without impressing anybody? And all it takes to ease you is to sit by a campfire with some friends or go on more bike rides, more nights on the patio with your spouse having a nice glass of red. What if that's what it took? It's a lot simpler than you think. So don't make it so complicated that it actually takes more out of you than puts into you. And the last thing that I would encourage you for soul rehabilitation this summer is to entrust yourself to the loving and generous care of the shepherd of your soul, Jesus. And this is a verse in your notes that we refer to a lot here. It's come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Scott Swain, who's a theologian, and a professor, and a writer, says that when you see a command in Scripture, it obligates the hearer. When we see a command in Scripture, it means that we have to do something. But a promise in Scripture obligates the speaker. It means he has to do something. So the commands that we see in this passage in Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30 is... It's really heavy. It's come to me. Take my yoke upon you, which is gentle. Most of you need to be a lot more gentle with yourselves. Take my yoke upon you, which is gentle. And his promise is what? 
I will give you rest. You will find rest for your souls. You know, we believe that scripture is the ever-present voice of Jesus. That's what we believe. Which is why when we hear it, we pay attention to it. Which is why as a church we're committed to learning how to converse around scripture in an unforced way without someone telling us how to think about it. We go right to scripture ourselves. And because we believe this is the ever-present voice of Jesus, we believe that when Jesus speaks through Scripture, it transcends time and space. Which means that there were a crowd of people that Jesus was talking to, probably yelling to, Come to me, all you who, are, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In that context, trying to prove themselves to God and one another through religiosity. And Jesus is saying, come to me. I will give you rest. And because we believe that the words of Scripture are the ever-present voice of Jesus, transcending time and space, you know what it does? It puts us in that crowd too. And he's speaking to us, to you, as he did to that crowd right now, right here, right this moment, if you're listening. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Would you stand with me and pray? Thank you for listening. Check out our website at southsideworcester.com.